Wayne. I'm Aaron. This is Paul. This is Wayne. And this is Tim. And I have important news that I didn't share before we started. I am, in fact, recording. So, woo! <laughs> I have important news as well. And it may be that I'm recording. <laughs> <laughs> I am recording. <laughs> it's behind the scenes with Aaron and Polly. <laughs> well, I I, uh, I uh, went after last week's recording and uh, to see Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice, and uh, went to the to the Cinemark uh, south of town. Saw it in the XD 3D, and I'd like to point out that that was throwing money in the street. Uh, <laughs> the 3D on that was terrible. The, the Anytime they add the 3D after the fact, it's not going to be worth it. Well, you and know, that the, was the case with this one. I don't care. I, I, I would prefer to see it in, uh, you know, standard 2D, uh, you know, like on an IMAX screen, you know, uh, 70 millimeter if at all possible. But uh, I, I really can't abide the 3D, but it was the time that worked out. So uh, that was the reason why I saw it there. But the only scene that I thought benefited from 3D was the bursting of Martha Wayne's pearl necklace. That was actually really effective. But the rest of it, wow. Uh, I was just like, this is in 3D. I kept checking to make sure that the gl- my glasses were on. Uh, you know what's <laughs> weird to me? You know, the, the preview screening that I went to was an IMAX 2D. Yeah. And I don't think it's available in IMAX 2D. I've not, I mean, everyone who I've seen, everyone who's seen it has said it's IMAX 3D. So I'm wondering if, if there is an IMAX 2D option. If there is, I mean, I could be wrong. I yeah. just haven't seen it. Yeah. You know the funny the funny part about that that pearl scene was my wife's like you know that's fake right real pearls they actually tie them with knots so they don't so Martha Wayne big rich person fake pearl necklace that's right that's yeah. right we blame that one on Frank Miller not doing your research Frank well you know he didn't he 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 only started dressing as a woman a high class woman later in his career so you know you're right what you know Paul good point good point. But uh, so I, I saw this movie, and uh, after I saw the movie, I listened to your guys' review of it, and uh, I gotta say, I I, I fall uh, pretty close to Wayne's perspective uh, on the film. I think it's probably about a five or a six on a scale of one to ten. Um, and the reason why I feel that way is that wow, there's no joy in that movie. Um, you know. I think that the creators have forgotten what's wonderful about the DC universe. And I think one of the things that's wonderful about the DC universe is that it tends to brightness. And if you look across the street over at Marvel, they maintain a sense of humor, sense of wonder uh, with their superhero films, you know, and certainly not Daredevil, but, uh, you know, uh, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe as seen on screen is bright and sunshiny and there's humor and we laugh at things and the humor is organic. Um, there was none of that in this film. Um, the only, the only, the only thing that brought a smile to my face in the movie literally is the scene where Wonder Woman, you know, uh, gets punched by, by uh, doomsday and, you know, as she's jumping back to her feet smiles and I'm and, and I think that's why I think that that's why I responded so positively to Wonder Woman in the film is that she's the only one who's having a good time. 
everybody else is just walking around in sackcloth and ashes. And I'm just like, oh, my God. I, it's amazing that the citizens of Metropolis and Gotham don't just commit mass suicide because their lives are so dismal and terrible. Yeah, when everyone talks about Wonder Woman being so flat, that's exactly the scene I point to. That smile sold me on the character. Yeah, no, I, I and I am super excited about the Wonder Woman movie. Um, I, I thought Gal Gadot uh, stuck the landing. I, I think it would be really easy to just be nothing in that role, you know, because I, I, I think Wonder Woman's got to be probably one of the hardest characters to write and portray. Um because there isn't a definitive Wonder Woman other than Linda Carter, right? Um, you know, the, the, the no one has really, you know, in terms of the comic, you know, written the definitive Wonder Woman story, and I, I think we're going to see that on screen. I think, I think that we're going to get that definitive Wonder Woman story. So I'm excited about that part of it. Overall, I feel like. Uh, I was glad the movie was made. I'm glad DC has kind of gotten this thing kickstarted. But boy. It, there, there seems like so much wasted potential on the screen. Um, the, I, I, like Paul, I was surprised uh, when you know you all of a sudden you realized, oh hell, they're going to kill Superman. <laughs> you know, th- this is going to be that story. Um, I, I was surprised by that in the film because they had already crammed so much into the last 30 minutes of the movie, a movie that was super long and too long by, by at least 20%. I mean, the, 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 the film felt long. My ass was killing me. I'm surprised I didn't develop a bed sore, uh, <laughs> sitting in that damn movie theater. Cause that movie was long. Um, but the, I, I think that they wasted the dramatic effect of killing off Superman because we don't care about Superman. You know, at no point have we seen Superman truly be heroic. At no point do we do we get to like him. You know, he, he seems there, 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 there's a little bit of heroism in him, but not much. And, you know, someone who is as powerful as he is has the ability to be more heroic than the rest of us. One of the things that is so affecting about the death of Superman comic is Superman is the only one who can stand toe to toe with Doomsday? Superman is the only one, uh, you know. The, the Justice League has had their asses handed to him. You know, Doomsday has just shredded everybody else who's approached him, and Superman is the only one who can do it. And you've got this brilliant scene at the end of the at the end of the book where. Uh, Superman and Doomsday have have thrown their final blows. Doomsday's dead. Superman's on his last legs, and you know he's being cradled by Lois. You know, and, and he's like, did, "Did we do it? Did we do it?" And and you know, she's there, there's that moment between the two of them, and that moment works because you've seen Superman be a hero. You've seen Superman, you know, wrestle with, "I'm going to have to step up. It's going to require me to die to kill this guy," and. You've got the heartbreaking moment because you cherish the relationship between Lois and Clark. And all we did in this movie is get a, a, a weird bathtub scene between Clark and Lois. You never see any of the relationship uh, between Lois and Clark. You only know that they love each other because they've told you they love each other. You never see the the relationship. And so I, I think they they... 
went straight to the big operatic dramatic moment of Superman dying without giving you any of the buildup so that you you feel the the, the pain of that. Um, I think well, that there's and I, 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 I'm going to stop you here because I do agree. I just want to agree with you there because okay. that was one of my gripes with the film as well. Superman wasn't Superman until the end of Man of Steel. Right. And so we really only had one movie worth of Superman. And even then it was about the world hating Superman. So right. we never really, you know, the, the emotional component of Superman dying wasn't there yet. Yeah. I'm sorry. Well, yeah. Uh, it, like I was saying, the story didn't earn the death. No, it didn't. And, the the reason why it's so compelling in the book is that Superman is the only one who could have done it. Superman is the only one literally in the world or universe who could put Doomsday down. Here on this film, there's no reason that Wonder Woman couldn't have taken that kryptonite spear and stabbed Doomsday. There's no reason. I mean, she was able to to to, to whack him with a sword. She was able to hit him, take a punch. I don't see any reason why uh, Superman couldn't have said, hey, this thing makes me feel a little puny. Could you go stick him with that? No reason. So I I got a lot of problems with the film. I think the, I think two things really work in it, and it's Wonder Woman and Ben Affleck as Batman. Um, I'm super excited about the, the rumored Batman uh, standalone film. Uh, I do have some thoughts about – I really, really hated Jesse Eisenberg as uh, Lex Luthor, you know, crazy man Lex Luthor. And, Paul, I know you liked it. But I do have some thoughts around that. I wonder if Lex wasn't driven insane by uh, perhaps uh, being touched by Darkseid at some point. And maybe that's how he figured out about all these other uh, heroes. Have you um, Have you seen the deleted scene that they've released online? I have not. So there is a deleted scene um, where they it, he is clearly talking with someone from Apocalypse. It, because it's you know the the, the design of the character um, is changed from the comic book. It seems like it could be Steppenwolf, but they don't really explain who it is. Uh, but he's clearly talking to someone from Apocalypse, and they're looking at mother boxes. And so there there is a deleted scene that that really should have been in the film, but I think it would have raised more questions than answered. Uh. But, you know, I'd, as fans, it's kind of a cool deleted scene. I'd like to object to any deleted scene in a three-hour movie, Paul. It does not <laughs> There's a half-hour deleted from that film, apparently. Yeah. You see it in the uh, ultimate cut on DVD. Well, I, I am super interested about the you know director's cut that's going to come out with the, the little B rated R. Uh, and I wonder if we don't get some uh, some topless uh, Lois in that one with it being rated R. I mean, because they're like just you said, not going to – I think they CG'd out some stuff. And they had to have. I mean, I'm just watching that scene. I'm like, we're going to see Naked Lois. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to call it now. We're not going to see Naked Lois on the Rated R disc. But what we are going to see on the Rated R is a lot of the things that I complained about for uh, where it seems like characters just know things they shouldn't. I have a feeling some of that is going to be on the, the cut. That there was there were probably either exposition or discoveries or things that they felt they didn't need to have in the cut that they cut and that's why some of it doesn't make sense well i, I again i'm glad they made the movie i'm glad that dc got their thing kicked off i would like to see a little bit more joy, joy or you know joy in uh, the dc universe but i'm looking forward to looking forward for it to hit uh, 
uh, Blu-ray, and so that I can look at the extended feature and see all the things that you know maybe maybe see something that makes a little bit more sense on the screen. So there you go. Okay. Well, I mean, I uh, I, I also am excited for the Blu-ray. I think it's due out not long from now, really. I think in a, in a, in two months or so. I think they've already announced the date for it. I don't recall what it was, but I'm, I'm curious to see what the extended cut brings to it. Yeah, uh, especially if it's violent, you know, if it's more violent. I, I, I'm wondering if part of it is Batman's assault on LexCorp to get the kryptonite, mm-hmm. you know, because it kind of jumped to the results of it. And I think we got the hint. But I'm wondering if that scene was actually originally filmed. Hard to say. I really I really liked that they didn't show it. I got to be I did honest. Too. I thought it was fine. I didn't think it was necessary. We got the we got oh. the point. I just uh, I'm very, very curious if that's one of the things because I don't know exactly what violence would have been cut. You know, I mean everything in it was if everything in it seemed. You know, I don't know. Yeah. So when it comes out on Blu-ray, I'll just listen to what you guys say the deleted scenes are because I'm not buying. <laughs> oh, Wayne. I'll give you my digital code. Well, Wayne. I I guarantee I'm going to enjoy it more on Blu-ray than I did at the theater. And I, you know, back to your point uh, that you made on the on, on the episode, Wayne. I the the film was dark. Um, not I'm not talking about the tone. I'm talking about you know the luminosity of it. It was just dark, and I hated the uh, final fights, the the big CG fights. It reminded me of the Ed Norton Incredible Hulk film. Uh, with the Abomination Hulk fight. I mean, I just like, God. And boy, I hated the CG on Doomsday. Doomsday oh, didn't yeah. look near as scary as Doomsday needed to look. I got to tell you guys. He looked like a cave for, troll, you know? They, you know, <laughs> he, he, he did. He looked like something out of The Hobbit. Yeah. Especially <laughs> since he was so large. You know, for me, I, I got to be honest, I, I really wish that these blockbuster films would get away from having some type of giant CG creature at the end. Because it, it, it takes out the personal aspect of, of the big boss fight or the giant hole in the sky mentality, you know, with the portal or the the thing that's going to fall through the sky on, and, and destroy the earth. Because that's every freaking movie. And I know I keep harping on about that, but, you know, I think we've we've kind of gotten away from the hole in the sky and now we're getting into the giant CG bad guy. Yeah. And it's it just when when your entire last 30 minutes is basically a cartoon it takes out the emotional components of it for me. It does. It does. I, I, I would much rather see two guys, you know, beating the hell out of each other than seeing, you know, one guy fighting something on a green screen. Exactly. Probably could have stopped that sentence there. And I like to see two guys. <laughs> I mean, that's so, probably true. Sometimes Captain America Civil War will definitely be more the movie for you then. That's uh, kind of what I'm looking forward to about ManCon in three weeks is all the buggery. So, you know. <laughs> and and oh, by the way, I'm gonna get me some of that sweet, sweet ginger. Mm. <laughs> so creepy. <laughs> it's about just... the right level. Look creepy though. Yeah, that's true. It's, it's the appropriate level of inappropriateness. Yeah. Do we all need to sleep with knives under our pillows? Well, there are locks on the doors. The Paul. I don't know that we get to go to knife level when there are locks on the doors. I'll bring the Paul knife. Yeah, the Paul knife's coming to town. Oh. I didn't bring it last time. Yeah, the Paul knife. The Paul knife will make an appearance. Yeah. Mm. Huh. Yeah. Because huh. we have to bleed Paul in order to purify Paul. Yes. Yeah. I hope you have replacement blood. We do. Don't worry. 
You've Sorry. got plenty. You've got plenty of big whiner. <laughs> You're full of blood. You could lose <laughs> at least three liters. <laughs> You're full of blood. You'll just make more. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, from moving from the the grim portrayal of Superman in Batman vs Superman: Dawn of Justice to the comic book portrayal um, from the new creative team of the uh, Rebirth Superman or one of the creative teams, Pete Tomasi and Mikhail Janine uh, are doing a storyline in all the Superman books right now, uh, pre-Rebirth. It's called The Super League. And Superman number 51 started the story this week. And uh, I I went ahead and picked it up because I'm a big fan of Pete Tomasi. I kind of wanted to see what the creative team was going to be doing on the book. And, uh, you know, I read it and I'm I'm very curious for Wayne's thoughts because he's been out of the Superman books for a while to hear what he thought of Superman number 51. Well, and I picked up the last couple issues, the uh, the end of the Vandal Savage story at Aaron's recommendation. So I guess 49 and 50 were the ones I'd read before that. And I have to say, as I'm reading this book, my initial thoughts were, where has the Superman been through the new 52? Because this is the personality and the thought process of a Superman I would like to read. He realizes he's going to die and his thoughts are I could have done so much more and he just sounds more like a hero so I I enjoyed the personality of this Superman a lot it is a lot more like what I think of when I think Superman I think the big iconic character I think the guy that wants to do as much as he can and is frustrated that he can't do more and that's kind of what I'm getting out of this story Yeah, for me, this reads very much like – I mean, the, so the concept here is that Superman is dying based on all the things that happened to him during the last storyline, losing his powers, you know, getting the kryptonite powers and all the all the well, crazy plus, shit. Plus the stuff that happens to him in Dark Side War where he, yeah. you know, gets the apocalypse powers. Plus all the buggery. Yeah, all the buggery, yes. <laughs> so I did have a question for you two since you – well, I guess for Paul since Paul's the other one that's been reading Superman – where did crypto oh. come from? Crypto's been around since the the yeah. dawn of the new fifty two. Yeah, and boy, he, I hate, he actually I, can't. I hate that crypto, by the way. But I like him in this book. He's fine in this book, but I, I don't like the design. You know, they've got him looking so much like a wolf versus yeah. looking like you know crypto. Yeah, I mean, he's a little less wolfy in this book than yeah. he was in previous issues. Well, and you remember when he when they first started showing Crypto, I mean, he was gigantic. He was like a, a warhound. Yeah, know? he was. Like I mean, he was like some Kryptonian. Yeah, you'd see a dwarf ride him or something, but uh, I hated it because, you know, Crypto shouldn't be threatening, you know? He shouldn't, you, you shouldn't look at Crypto and go, holy shit, that's an alien space dog, you know? <laughs> that's an alien space dog. Yeah. But, you know, it's, that's the name of my new band, by the way. But it goes to the point that they kind of miss the point in some yeah. of these new 52 characters. But, yeah, it's, he's he's fine in the book. Uh, I just I the design just annoys the shit out of me. And he doesn't so, wear a cape. I'm sorry. Crypto wears a fucking cape. <laughs> God damn it. So, Aaron, what did you think of Superman number 51? Um, You know, I I. I it feels very much like uh, they're giving the new 52 Superman an opportunity to, you know, run the bases one last time, you know, kind of do his farewell tour. Hey, I'm dying. I'm coming around. I'm, you know, I'm coming to your town. I'm dying. 
catch me. This is my farewell tour because, you know, I'm dying. Um, and, and that's kind of cool. I agree with Wayne. You know, he, this is finally, you know, it's almost like uh, unintentionally so. I think that this Superman has an arc uh, over the course of the new 52. He starts as somebody that I really don't like and ends as somebody that I'm like, huh, where have you been all this time? Uh, you know, so I, I don't think that that was the intention of the new 52 to, uh, you know, start off with, with rather an unappealing Superman. But, uh, you know, that's certainly where, where we have been. And, and, uh, he, he seems rather likable, you know, in this book. I mean, you know, he's, he's thinking about the people that are important to him. He's thinking about how he's, you know, he, he's the guy who had to stand and fill the gap when nobody else could, and what's going to happen after he's gone. Um, I enjoyed the scenes with he and Lana. I thought that they were they were very sentimental and touching. I loved some of the flashbacks with them as kids and him pushing her on the swing and you know doing the full rotation on the swing because he overpushed. Um, I thought that was fun. Uh, you know, I'm I'm interested in what's going to happen on the lowest pages. I'm actually kind of really curious. You know, with with uh, pre New Fifty Two Superman filling the uh, filling the gap. Um, you know, at the at, when rebirth hits, kind of curious on what we do with two Loises in the universe. So curious what's going to happen there. So apparently, let's let's talk a little bit about that because I read an article this morning that apparently it was leaked that that new Superwoman book that's coming out. Uh huh. That that Superwoman may be Lois Lane. Oh really? So I'm wondering if that's New Fifty Two Lois Lane because it's certainly not. You know, pre-New 52 Lois Lane. Right. Could it be the, uh, oh, the the evil versions of them from, uh, is it Earth 2 on this version? Uh, I don't know. You know, I, I don't, because that's, I mean, I, you're talking about from Forever Evil. I yeah, think that was Earth she, 3, actually. But, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it could be. Uh, she goes by Superwoman, and wasn't she... I don't remember if she was Lois or not in this version. I don't believe she. I mean, I don't remember. I mean, it could be, but I, I think it, that's an interesting choice. If and it would be something to do with the new Fifty Two Lois Lane that's different from pre New Fifty Two Lois Lane. So I, I, I also have to say that the artwork in this book makes Superman look more supermanly than he has previously in New Fifty Two. Um, you notice that there's a little hint of a spit curl on these pages. You know, his, his, his hair is a little longer, you know, like we're, we're, we're used to seeing in pre-New 52 Superman. Um, you know, he doesn't have that shorn uh, head of hair that he's had throughout much of the New 52. So he's looking more like Superman as well. Yeah, yeah the other thing like that really screamed Superman for me was the uh, Ma and Pa Kent statues he added to the fortress. I thought that was actually a very nice touch. Yeah, yeah, because it, it's a shot. Basically, it's a sign of how much impact they actually had on him. And that is key to the Superman character for me. Yeah. You know, ultimately, I think if New 52 Superman does die as a result of rebirth and pre New 52 comes back, I think what we're going to see is, like Aaron said, an arc, right? He started out as this angry youth, um, you know, that in that Grant Morrison Action Comics book. And he, he has really evolved, especially over the course of that truth, justice, whatever storyline um, where he lost his powers from Vandal Savage into this character that, you know, they're kind of giving him this redemptive arc finally before the character passes away. Right. Now, 
I mean, and that's great. You know, the character goes out on a high note. I mean, surely New 52 Superman was not a success for us as fans. Right. But, I mean, if this is how they go out, I think, uh, you know, it, it at least based on this first issue, it's going to be a good way for the character to have a redemptive arc before he dies. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And really, though, I mean, the best part about this book was the freaking ad for Future Quest. At the oh, moment. my God. It was so hot. <laughs> it's so hot, Paul. So there's a two page ad. Johnny Quest, Space Ghost, the Herculoids, Birdman, Frankenstein Jr., the Impossibles, the Galaxy Trio, and Mitor. Future Quest from Jeff Parker and Evan Doc Shaner. And front and center, you've got Johnny Quest, Haji, and Rascal. I'm sorry, Bandit. <laughs> just, man, I just, Bandit. Johnny <laughs> Quest, Haji. I can't wait. I cannot fucking wait. I, that is that is going. Oh my god! I, I don't know that I'm looking forward to any book as much as I'm looking forward to that. I gotta tell you, I, I would not mind a uh, poster sized print of that cover. Yeah, it is beautiful. It is it is gorgeous. It is gorgeous and scratches me right where I edge. And I am a huge Space Ghost fan. I mean, like old Space Ghost, not like the Space Ghost talk show thing. Yeah. Well, yeah, I like the Space Ghost talk show as well, but no, old old school Space Ghost is is, is my jam. Hey, what do we think about the uh, Wonder Woman Earth One book that's coming out? I, you know, I've heard positive things. Apparently, you know, reviewers have gotten some uh, some copies. I'm looking forward to it. Um, you know, it's a Grant Morrison book. You know, he he's uneven, mm-hmm. but when he's on when he's on point. It's a great. It's typically a great book. So I'm, I'm unfortunately to he hasn't this. been on point since the '90s. You know, well, I, I disagree true. with that. Yeah, I think he's true. done. I think he's actually done more good work since his run on Batman was finished than he did during his work on his time in DC Comics. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I think that he he has written. I, I think you're right, Paul. I think he's inconsistent. Uh, uh, but he has he's done some good stuff. You know, I, we, we, we have made him the whipping boy of funny books since our uh, first episode, but the, uh, you know, some of his more recent stuff has actually been rather enjoyable. Man, see, I just can't think of anything I've enjoyed since the his original Justice League run in the 90s. So, Paul, tell him what he's enjoyed. Tell who what he's enjoyed? <laughs> tell Wayne what he's enjoyed. I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You're the I don't Grant, know Wayne. You're Grant Morrison guy. You're supposed to have all this stuff cataloged. And, well, I mean, you know, I, I try not to keep track of it. I, 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 well, I do try to keep track of it, but I, I, I remember so many things, and I need to remember so many things that, uh, you know, I forget stuff. And so uh, I've forgotten. <laughs> I, I am disappointed in you, Paul. I know. This, I know. This is the, 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 the role you fill on the podcast and you have let me down. You have failed this podcast, Paul. Well, to be fair, Wayne doesn't like Damian Wayne, and Damian Wayne is probably is a da- Grant Morrison creation. True, true. So Wayne doesn't like good things. That's it's that's a- true as well. That's true as well. But I am I'm desperately on the Grant Morrison site trying to find something that that perhaps uh, Wayne has liked. <laughs> yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not having I'm any telling you, yeah, I I'm, haven't liked I'm, anything since his Justice League run in the 90s. I am having no luck. <laughs> I hated his X-Men. I hated his Batman. I hated uh, Final Crisis. Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I did not care for his Superman arc. I will say that. But I did like his Batman stuff, though it was inconsistent. 
Yeah, I'm. I I, I feel. Uh, I feel like I have also let the podcast down. Because, uh, whew, I'm, you have failed this podcast. I have. I have failed this podcast. I, you know, uh, the arrow is going to have to come and, and take care of both of us, Paul. Yeah. So. And that doesn't mean that we're going to talk about Green Arrow because we're not. We're going to talk about Justice League: The Dark Side War. Woo. Woo! Woo! So Justice League, the Dark Side War special came out this week, and much as anticipated, it's not necessarily a continuation of the storyline. It's more of a, a side story, um, kind of giving a little bit more uh, background and and, and uh, I guess I should say uh, fleshing out the characters of the new Green Lantern and Grail, the daughter of Darkseid. So we have this book written by Jeff Johns with art by Ivan Reese and Joe Prado and Oscar Jimenez, Paul Pelletier, and Tony Cordos. So we have a, a number of creative teams, though I will say, for me, the book didn't really suffer from the multiple creative teams. I would agree. I, I think that it it had a, a nice, consistent throughput from beginning to end. So what did you think of the book? You know, uh, I bought it because it was Jeff Johns and uh, – uh, Ivan Rice. Um, I wasn't excited about it when I bought it because I was like, God, I'm just, I'm so ready for Dark Side War to be over. That said, it tells you a whole lot about Grail, uh, you know, Dark which we Side. needed. I, in, yeah. in fact, I got to say, I almost feel like this book should have come first. Yeah, it. I mean, it's. I feel like it should have been within the the regular title. You know, I feel like it should yeah. be within the regular action because it is pretty important. It's not one of these fluff extra books. I think that it reveals a whole lot about this character. Um, and I got to tell you, you know, with Jeff Johns and, and Ivan Rice working on this book, it's a it's a super good book. Um, I also, you know, you, you've got her origin story put in there, and it's super dark. <laughs> you know, it she she is. Uh, quite the villain uh, you know she takes the turn that uh perhaps dark side's son orion did not um you know orion you know struggles with his his evil roots you know his, his bloodline and the rage and evil that course through his veins but you know he wants to be better you know he wants to be more like his adopted father high father versus his biological father dark side well grail really kind of likes the dark side um you know and despite the fact that she has moments where she she's scared of of the evil brewing within her but you know ultimately you know uh yields to it you i have this b story going on with uh oh gosh what's her, what's the jessica is that her jessica name? and her, uh, power ring yeah power ring who is the you know the the Green Lantern type character from the uh, the uh, Earth Three, is that right? Correct. Yeah. So uh, you know she is deep within the ring, and you know being uh, you know hounded by all those souls who've lost their their lives, uh, you know, as ring bearers uh, to the, the the power ring. And, you know, there's a, there's a nice reveal in that as well. And, you know, it's actually, and spoilers, uh, there is actually a nice use of Cyborg in that story. <laughs> I mean, didn't that kind of startle you? It was like, oh. Yeah, I was like, huh, look at that. kind of a cool use of that character. 
I was actually happy to see Cyborg for once. For once in my life. (laughs) You know? But uh, I I, got to say, I think overall this is a really good book. I think the art's strong. I think the writing's strong. I think we get some not just key revelations about the character, but highly entertaining revelations about the character. Her uh, her use of the Omega Beam uh, is exquisitely done throughout the book. Mm-hmm. And you you feel uh, the, the scenes where, where she tries to kill her mother, you know? Uh, yeah. It's more of an instinctual versus a plot. And then her mom uh, employs a, a bodyguard for the rest of their time together to watch her sleep because, you know, she loves her daughter but can't trust her daughter. Um, I, I think that's got to be slightly terrifying. There, I, You know, and, and it, it touches on uh, – people who are afraid of their children, you know, people who, you know, I'm not sure the the kind of person that my child has grown up to be. Um, you know, just this week here in North Texas, uh, one of our, uh, uh, television personalities here was murdered by her son. And so that, that scratches really close to, to something that's been on my mind, uh, the last couple of days. So, you know, I, I, I think that, that, that struck an, it certainly struck a nerve with me. So, Anyway, I, I, I think it was a great book. I, I think yeah, that... Uh, it was much better than I thought it was going to be once I found out what it was. Yeah, yeah. I really anticipated that... Oh, damn. It is a side story. Then I wasn't going to enjoy it, but I did. Yeah, no, it was good. It was good. I, I recommend it. So DC had a pretty big announcement this week, since we're talking about DC Comics, that uh, a new imprint was coming, or is coming, uh, this fall, called DC's Young Animal. And it's actually going to be headed up by um, ex-My Chemical Romance frontman Gerard Way. Uh, He has written a number of comics, including the pretty popular Doom Patrol. I mean, I shouldn't say Doom Patrol. Um, (laughs) Umbrella Academy. Umbrella Academy book. But this new imprint is going to be starting with four titles. Uh, A couple of them will be co-written by Gerard Way. Um, Doom Patrol is one of them. Shade the Changing Girl is uh, not written by Gerard Way. I have to say Cave Carson. I have okay. to say I'm pretty pretty interested in the shade the changing girl. I, I am too. too. I Out of all nice. of them, that's the one I'm I'm definitely going to pick up and try. Well, and but I'm super excited about Cave Carson has a cybernetic eye. I love Hell the yeah. title. I love the fucking title. <laughs> that, I mean, it's so it's about DC Comics Silver Age character Cave Carson, who I am not familiar with. His cybernetic eye and his college age daughter as they travel to dark places deep in the earth and mind. Yeah. That sounds totally up my alley with Michael Avenoming on art. Yeah, and I love Michael Avenoming. See, I only know the character because of having uh, read the Time Master series recently. Yeah. Well, he he is a vintage DC character, and I'm I'm, I'm excited. I think it's going to be fun. And, and what was the, the book, fourth title? Mother Panic. Uh, Violet Page, a celebrity heiress by day and brutal vigilante by oh, night, yeah. as she takes on the underbelly of Gotham City's high society, written by Gerard Way and Jody Hauser with art by Tommy Lee Edwards. So I, all four of these books, I mean, I have a love-hate relationship with the Doom Patrol. <laughs> I always uh, want to like the Doom Patrol. Same here. I'm, same here. I love the concept of them, but I've never actually liked any of their books. Yeah, the only time I really liked the Doom Patrols when they guest starred in the Teen Titans back in the eighties. Exactly. That was when I liked them, and that was when Marv Wolfman was writing them and George Perez was drawing them. I think the character designs are great. I love Robot Man. Robot Man is so cool, but uh, 
uh, I just the particularly the Grant Morrison run did not care for. Well, that's because it was written by Grant Morrison. I was waiting for it too. <laughs> uh, I think this is going to be a fun a fun imprint. I, you know, I, and I, I hope I hope the books are good. I'm going to give all four books a try. Yep. at least the first issues. They're all interesting concepts, and I really enjoyed Umbrella Academy. Um, Gerard Way is he's an interesting writer, and uh, the fact that they're they're putting this much faith in him to head up four books. He has a lot more free time, I guess, since he's not heading up a band. <laughs> well, maybe he's going to start a band there at DC Comics. I like it. You know, him, Dan DiDio, Jeff Johns, Dan Jurgens, all your DC hotties. <laughs> hotties. <laughs> <laughs> so, Paul. Yes, sir. This week, uh, the much-awaited, long-anticipated... Mike Miller, Stuart Amonin book came out. Empress number one. Yes. Um, so this is, you know, it took me a second to find this. I don't know where it was listed on Comixology, but... Um, it was in the Marvel section. Was it? Okay, yeah. And I know we talked about that last week, that we were surprised it was coming out from Marvel instead of through Image. But it's still under his Miller World icon imprint. But we said, you know, it might be because Stuart Amonin has an exclusive with Marvel. Yeah. And so the concept of Empress... Not to give too much away, because um, it, it, the, the less you know, I feel, the better, because I didn't know anything about it going in. Right. Um, is about a, a character who is on the run from an evil – I don't know. I guess it's kind of hard to talk about it without spoiling it. But yeah, an evil emperor. Um, Mark Miller, Stuart Amonin, we, we have been praising Mark Miller as of late for his writing yeah. uh, in books like Huck and Time – Chrononauts, Chrononauts. So, Aaron, Empress, we've been looking forward to it. Yeah, you know, and and I think I would add one more thing to to get to set the book. And it takes place 65 million years ago on Earth. It tells the story of the people and civilization on Earth before the the rise of civilization. One of the things that uh, uh, in the the opening narrative, you know, says that if you were to stretch Earth's 4 billion years over the course of a day – Mankind showed up at just about two minutes to midnight, right? So this tells the story of a long-forgotten, never-known civilization, high-tech, super-advanced, uh, and yes, there are dinosaurs. Um, I, I I thought the book was a whole lot of fun. Uh, you know, I, I think that uh, – I think it's a great idea. I love the setting, and I particularly love Stuart Amonin's artwork. He just does space battles beautifully. He his characters are so well drawn and conceived. I I, I just immersed myself in this world that Stuart Amonin is drawn. So I, I I love the book. I highly recommend it. Big thumbs up. Pick this one up. Do yourself a favor and read this book. You will have a blast. Yeah, it is a. a I, I have to just repeat everything you said because <laughs> I mean, Stuart Amonin did such a great job. I mean, there's a scene with like a giant dinosaur, and it's just breathtaking. I mean, he, no one does people and space art as good as Stuart Amonin. You can fight me, or you can fight the monster. The, mon- <laughs> the, the monster, sir. And here comes the Tyrannosaurus Rex with a saddle. <laughs> yeah. You know, to a certain extent, it's almost like what we were just talking about with Dark Side War in that, you know, the, the, the Emperor is kind of a Dark Side-esque character. Yeah. 
Um, and this is like the wife of Darkseid is the main character of this book. And it is just so, so good. Yeah. Um, and it's a lot of fun. Yeah. You know, it, it, it is it, even though it's certainly got mature elements, it's not necessarily a mature reader's title. Yeah. It feels like it could be a fun science fiction movie. There is there is very much a Star Wars esque feel to the book. There is that kind of, you know, sense of wonder and joy. You know, those things that are missing from uh, Batman versus Superman. Uh, uh, there is a fun element to the book while also addressing, you know, a, a rather serious situation. Mm-hmm. And I, I dug it. I dug it. And, I you know, I, I think Mark Miller has really hit a stride in uh, addressing the marketplace and giving folks what they really want and what they need. Uh, I love this book. Highly recommend it. And at the end of it, he mentions, you know, his upcoming stuff. That's, oh. uh, you oh. know, Jupiter's Legacy Part 2 is coming with and Frank Whiteley. And preview Hunter. pages were amazing for Jupiter's Legacy Volume 2. I did uh, not read them because I have not read Jupiter's Legacy Volume 1, so I, I will read that. I did not read the preview pages. I just glanced at the artwork. But, uh, man, I you know, I did not like Frank Quietly's artwork on Batman Incorporated. I hated it. But his artwork is so pitch perfect for Jupiter's Legacy. Um, and I, I loved the first volume of Jupiter's Legacy. Wayne's a fan. Uh, and I cannot wait for the next. Uh, yeah, I've been waiting for him to get back to it because they did. First, they did Jupiter's, Jupiter's Legacy. Then they did Jupiter's Circle. Yeah. So they got into the past and how they got there. Yeah. I've been waiting for that story to continue from well, Legacy. And the great thing about Jupiter's Legacy is that uh, Miller has been uh, stockpiling Frank Quietly's pages because they're not releasing the first issue until it's done so that they can come out on a monthly basis and make sure that they're hitting the schedule. So oh, and That I, is great. And I love that. That is the kind of behavior I want to reward. I mean, seriously, this is exactly what we should be doing on creator-owned comics. You should be stockpiling that shit so that you don't you know, have these you know, great big gaps. Uh, I, I'm super excited about it. And he's coming out with another project with Greg Capullo that they're going to be announcing uh, probably within the next month or so. So, you know, I, I just I'm, I'm thrilled with the work they're doing right now. Yeah. I mean, and I, I know his tendency is I'm, I'm concerned that his tendency might be to uh, to go dark with the Greg Capullo book. But, you know, I, I'm starting to have faith in Mark Miller. Yeah. Yeah. So also from Marvel this week, Ta-Nehisi Coates and Brian Stelfreeze have put out the new Black Panther book, uh, Black Panther number one came out this week. Much, much press on this book. Uh, more so than I can remember from any previous Black Panther iteration. And I, will and I think say it's that, because of the writer. I will say that I really wanted to read this book, but I didn't want to spend four ninety nine on it, which is the only reason I didn't pick it up. And if you're not familiar with the writer, um, apparently Ta-Nehisi Coates, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right, he's a national correspondent for The Atlantic, where he writes about politics and culture. So he's a journalist. And as well, he's, as he published a book called Between the World and Me, which won the National Book Award, he's a recipient of the MacArthur Fellowship, a National Magazine Award, and the George Polk Award. So, I mean, he is uh, apparently a, a well-renowned writer. I'm just not familiar with him. And Brian Stelfreeze, he's fucking Brian Stelfreeze. <laughs> I mean, the guy is a legend. He's been working for over 25 years in comics. So, uh, I'm, I'm going to let Tim go ahead and lead this. Con- go ahead and lead off because Tim gave it a read. And uh, so, 
Tim, Tim, Tim bought this book because he thought it was required reading for the podcast, and uh, it was required. Turns for you out, and Paul. <laughs> turns, yeah, it turns out it was exactly true. Um, so I guess here's what I'd say on this one. I, I think technically there's a lot going on to like the art. The art's great. I think the story is interesting. the the part that the part that kind of loses me. And maybe it's because I never read a Black Panther book before. I, I saw him in the Civil War, you know, the, the movie trailers, and I, I was excited to see that costume. I've always thought that was a cool costume, and I was like, you know, let's let's take a read. And I think people that actually have followed the character are going to like it, but I think for a number one, there was a lot going on. And I, I think that's maybe why it didn't it didn't fire on all cylinders for me. There is a lot of, I, I guess I'd say secondary characters. Mm-hmm. It's just a little much for a first for an issue one for me. It's always difficult when you have an established character and you're trying to write an issue one to pander to the people that already like the character and have been reading it forever, and to try to open open the umbrella to let new people in. And I think they cited more on the on the aspect of you know playing to, to you know the character's history which you know it's smart that's why people have bought it will buy it again but I think for me there was there was just a little too much going on so I don't disagree with you I feel like the the art here was the Brian Stelfreeze the home run here was uh, the Brian Stelfreeze art I, I thought Brian Stelfreeze's art on this book was fan fantastic um as far as the writing i actually really liked the book it wasn't necessarily the home run um that i think a lot of people were hoping for but there's just because there is quite a bit going on in this book and it's not really that oversized for a five dollar book um there's there's 48 pages worth of story here but we're getting in and up in 32 pages and so I, i feel like there is uh this book didn't have as much breathing room as it probably needed to explore all the concepts that have been brought up. Uh, for Aaron, I would say that this very much comes from the Jonathan Hickman school of writing in that, you know, it, it is the, wordy. it is the black Panther. It's wordy, but it's also the black Panther that we are familiar with from Hickman's run. He is strong. He is regal. He's badass, but he is the, you know, he is also the king of a country. Um, and there, there's quite a bit, which you would imagine from the, what I just told you about the writer, there is quite a bit of politics in play here. Um, so it's not just superhero action. In fact, there's very little superhero esque action. It's more about, it's almost like a, you know, coming from the Emperor's book, it's almost science fictiony and about the leader of this futuristic country that is currently in civil war. Um, that's the book that we're reading here. And for one, I, I, for me, I enjoyed it. And I'm actually going to pick up the second issue. Um, again, I didn't – it wasn't like a, a knock out of the park, but it was certainly intriguing. And it was certainly interesting enough for me to give a second issue. So uh, gathering from what you're saying, the, you know, in the, the reset Marvel Universe uh, post the, uh, the you know, Secret War um, – so Wakanda is fully restored, no history of having been, you know, injured by Atlantis, all that stuff is washed away. No, it's not washed away, but it is certainly uh Wakanda has 
it is still reeling from the effects of it, but it certainly has rebuilt. So it's it that did happen then. Yeah, because you do see mention of Namor in the book. You do see mention of of, of the strife and and what what has happened uh, with the character over the past years. And you see the people where their anger lies, and it seems like it lies at the top. Huh. Well, I, I got to tell you, I was super disappointed that it was a four ninety nine book. Um, this was a big week in terms in 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 terms of the dollars spent in comics. Um, and I, I, I'm sorry, I, I'm always going to question a 4.99 spend. I think it's unnecessary to be a 4.99 book. I think that uh, for an issue one, you should make it cheaper um, I, I, to, to get people on board. I, I just I wish Marvel wouldn't do that. They really do lean into to having the more expensive titles, and I'm always going to question that. Yeah, and I, I do really have to appreciate say, DC's move back to 2.99. Yeah, same here. And I do want to call Marvel out for this book because I just, you know, I'm looking at the the pages view and because I was like, you know, because sometimes with comicsology it's a little hard to tell the actual number of pages because double pages are count as one. Right. If you take out the, the, the recap page and the title page, this is only 22 pages of story. Yeah. 22 pages of story. There's a little bit of back matter on process. I mean, there's one, there's one letters page and three behind the scenes pages. So even the comicsology book is only 31 pages. Yeah. And it's a $5 book, and that is way overpriced. I agree. I, I And I, that's, that kind of move is going to keep me out of books. I, I, I have it in my head that four ninety nine is too much to spend on a comic book. To spend on a book that I'm going to spend maybe 15 minutes with, uh, I, I, that's just too much money. Yeah, so if issue two is four is four, is four ninety nine, and I'm wondering if it is because of the, the, the creative team. I mean, I don't know why it would be. I mean, you, you've got, got you have to have guys in comics who are paid more than this. Right. Um, so I, I, I hope that issue two is not four ninety nine because it's certainly not a four ninety nine monthly title. Well, or, I, or I'm the, sorry. Uh, I think story. that that Marvel priced it because Black Panthers and Civil War. I think they priced it at four ninety nine because they thought they could get four ninety nine. So they got mine. Yeah. Well, and and hey, more power to them. It's going to keep me from reading the book. I'll pick it up when it's on sale in Comicsology in a year. Yeah. You know, I, I I don't need to spend four ninety nine in in April on that book. I guess I guess to kind of recap my my point on the book is that if it was a little more superhero, I probably would be more on board. Yeah. The fact that it's more nation building, character building with characters I don't know, I'm a little less inclined. I will say that if it had come out last week when we were on a on a five Wednesday week and very little came out, I probably would have picked it up. So, Aaron, I checked the future issues of the book uh-huh. on the Comixology's pre-order. It is three ninety-nine is the regular yeah. price. Yeah, I, I yeah. think that I, th- I think that they're going the wrong way on first issues because I've seen that a lot with Marvel lately, where they price their first issue higher, and I just I think that's a mistake. I prefer the image model where they you know uh, release it at a reduced price on the first issue to get you on board. Yeah, I mean, I definitely get it. It's I want the first issue to be cheaper to get more people reading it so you're going to have more overall sales. They know, though, that the first issue is going to sell more than any other issue Absolutely. of the book. Absolutely. So yeah. they jack up the price of the first issue knowing it's going to sell more. So they, it's the money grab. Yep. Yeah, but here's my concern. If the first issue was 22 pages at four ninety nine. What am I looking at in the second issue for three ninety nine? Yep. I think it's going to be the same page count. 
I think the only reason that this is a dollar more is that it's a number one issue. Yeah. And Civil War is coming out. Yeah. yeah. And Black Panthers and Civil War. I mean, that's what that's all about. So, so I, yeah, I, I, I it disappoints me because I love this character. I'm a big Black Panther fan, and I but I, I don't want to throw money in the street. So there you go. I agree. Well, also from Marvel, Black Widow number two came out this week, and we had not read Black Widow number one, but we talked about it at the end of last week's episode, that the creative team on the book is Mark Wade and Chris Somney. So I'm and like, why aren't we reading that book? Why aren't we reading this book? <laughs> yeah. And let me tell you, Paul, I'm so glad. Number one, I, I just wasn't I, – I, 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 I must confess that I am not paying near as much attention to the Marvel books post-Secret Wars – uh, that I that I, that I was prior because you know I've just kind of decided that I don't want to jump onto a bunch of new series uh, that I am fairly satisfied with the cap that occurred at the end of Secret Wars and maybe I don't need a whole bunch of new Marvel books but you know thank you for alerting me to this title because holy shit that first issue is awesome it is I mean it- the it is so cinematic I mean. If somebody's not picking up this book in Hollywood going, you know, this is our, our Black Widow movie, they've they've completely storyboarded the, the first 10 minutes of that movie in issue one of Black Widow. It starts with her, uh, you know, w- w- on, on a shield helicarrier with, you know, the voiceover announcement that, uh, you know, stop Black Widow at all costs. And, you know, she's she's running to get out and leaps out of the helicarrier and it's her descent down that takes up most of the issue. I got it. Book was was so energetic. Chris Somney's pencils on this book sung. Uh, I, 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 I cannot express how delighted I was with issue one. And what's so what's so fascinating is the the gear shift for issue two, because a much more, you know, uh, issue one was so broad. So energetic, so over the top with action, and then issue two is much more intimate and and tight, and uh, uh, you know, a, a, you know, you had the 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 overwhelming swashbuckling adventure in issue one, and you have this very intense. Uh, story in issue two. I just I I, I love the the, the 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 contrast there. Mark Wade is is just fantastic on the writing on this book. He he really has a feel for the character and her surroundings, her elements. And Chris Somney is just drawn the hell out of this book. Thoroughly loved it. So so I just bought it because I forgot about it last week. Otherwise, I would have bought it to read for today. I have to ask: Is this a book that's written? differently than the typical Marvel books? I would say yes. For me, this book very much reads, and and Aaron, you can agree or disagree, let's see. This is very much in the school of the Warren Ellis, Declan Shalvey, Moon Knight run. I in mean, that, yeah, you know, each issue seems is, is self-contained, but part of a larger whole. At least the first two issues have been um, that they, they they read as self-contained stories, but still part of a larger storyline. Uh, but very much emphasis on show don't tell. Yeah, you know, the art is well choreographed. Fight sequences and action sequences. It's it is an energetic book. Even like you said, even issue two is energetic but intense and and a bit slower. Yeah. Um, it's a great book. It is it is a great book. It's it's ex- you know considering I'm not a Black Widow fan, I'm, I'm enjoying the hell out of this book. Yeah, um, 
I would say – I think one of the things that, that I think is key to this book is Chris Somney is co-credited as, as writer, right? Um, and I think that you that that is probably the reason why the pages are so cinematic. He's probably got a lot of input in the manner in which the story is being told beyond what the artist would typically do. I, I, book is fantastic. Big thumbs up. So, Wayne, I recommend you read it. But, yes, I, for me, it feels different than the typical Marvel book. But then again, I mean, what is the typical Marvel book anymore? That's what you got to give Marvel credit for because they are really going outside of their bounds with some of these books to try something new. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's talk about Vision because I know you guys say that's different than the typical Marvel book. I tell you what, you know, reading this week, I was like, oh, dear. Um, I'm not sure we're going to be able to stay on this book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You want to talk about it, Wayne? Yeah. I thought the book was creepy before. Yeah, no, yeah. Yeah. It it has crossed the creepiness threshold at this point. So all along there's been this undertone of the the family the vision has made is psychotic basically. And all of that's been kind of the undertone of the book without vision really knowing about it. Well, now he knows. And Vision, who was the one character that wasn't necessarily creepy yet, has now crossed over into the creepy side as well. Yeah, super creepy. And one of the things I enjoy about this particular issue, (laughs) so Vision discovers what's happened with his family. So he discovers a body in the backyard. Yeah. And, you know, it's the 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 Reaper. Is that who it is? Yeah. Yeah. Who is the brother to Simon Williams, Marvel's uh, Wonder Man, who, you know, Wonder Man's uh, brain was what was used to imprint from the Vision when Ultron built the Vision. And so he and the Reaper have always had kind of this connection because the Reaper is Simon Williams' brother. And so he holds it against the Vision that he has, you know, Simon Williams' uh, uh, brain imprint. So when the Reaper shows up back in issue one, Mrs. Vision kills him and buries him in the backyard. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a, in this issue, a dog digs him up. Yeah, the neighbor's dog, you know, yeah. wanders into the Vision's backyard and uh, digs up the body. While while the Vision is, is at, at dinner with his family telling a... Uh, telling a story and, you know, walks outside to hear what all the commotion's about and finds the dog and the reaper. And I'd like to point out, you know, here it goes. Yeah. The dog, the dog, uh, you know, bit the reapers, uh, scythe and gets shocked. Doesn't die. I'd like to point out the dog is not dead. So, Take us from there, Wayne. <laughs> I, I wanted to believe that the dog was dead at that point. Yeah, he was not I, dead, I wanted to believe that it yeah, was from the. You, you can but, you can want that all you want, but the dog was alive. The dog was still barking, uh, though heavily singed. Uh, you know, he's he, he. The dog was not dead. So, Everyone's go old yeller. Yeah, <laughs> we don't see Vision's initial reaction to this. We see that the house is utterly destroyed in the next you know next day but we don't see his reaction to it 
what we see then is Vision goes off by himself to make his family a robot dog using the brains of the dog that was in his backyard. Yeah, and I mean, we see the surgery implements. I mean, it's very Dr. Frankenstein. I mean, there yes. is... He has blood on his face and... Yeah, and it does not seem like a sterile environment. It seems like butchery. It is a very graphic depiction of pulling the brain out of the dog's head. Um, it, it, it is it is a full page and a half of just horrible of just horrible. And I mean, you really had suspected that vision was going to draw his family back into sanity or at least deal with it. Right. When he finds out all these horrible things that have occurred and we've only scratched the surface in our recap of all the horrible things that have occurred over the last five issues. Um, but no vision joins them in their insanity. Yeah, he seems to, because we don't know what happened yet when he first finds out. So it seems like he lost it, destroyed the house, maybe even fought the wife a little bit. But as he's carving up the dog, oh, that's hard to even say. Yeah. he's. They give you his thought process, and it's, uh, I wish you would have told me all the things you had done. These all make sense. And he's rationalizing every thing that she's done and saying, you know, how he's sorry about his initial reaction. But the Avengers have to trust him because that's where he makes his money. And, uh, and the whole while you finally see what some of the narrative has been, because some of the voiceover hasn't actually been vision. Right. It's been somebody telling the Avengers what's happened and telling them that vision has reached the point where he's, accepted that his family isn't something that he can just create and be perfect. Yeah. And so you've got, uh, this, this holographic person, you know, briefing the Avengers and she says, and so the vision has abandoned the illusions of, of P in favor of the reality of NP. And she, she had been presenting all of this as a math equation. He will now do everything. He'll do anything, ev- everything in his attempt to find happiness for his wife and children. He will kill you. And she's telling this to the Avengers. He will kill you. He will kill your families. He will raise the world. And that's where we leave it with this entire assemblage of the Avengers uh, listening to this, and on the cover of the next issue is Scarlet Witch. So uh, I, I'm a little concerned, Wayne, about the next issue. In that, what I, one of the things I've enjoyed is that the Avengers has been way off stage right, um, and, and you know we weren't seeing you know all this superhero activity in the book, and I feel like we're going to get into a superhero book, and I've really enjoyed Suburban Vision. What I like is that the cover has specifically Scarlet Witch. What I'm hoping they're doing is they're bringing in his ex-girlfriend. Ex-wife? Ex-wife? Don't diminish that relationship. Fair, fair. Ex-wife. The mother of his created children. Yes. His first children. Let's let's be clear. His crazy ex-wife. Yes. I mean, you know, the vision's got a type. I don't know if you've noticed this or not. (laughs) Dude's got a type. (laughs) It would be interesting if they end up revealing that his wife's brain patterned after Wanda, because that would be awesome. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 
so because they're because she's on the cover, it's my hope that she'll be coming in as Wanda and not as Scarlet Witch. That it will be, I want it to be the creepy conversation. Yeah. So Wayne, tell me, are you are you going to be able to stay on with what's happened to the dog? I am. It was easier when I could trick myself into believing that the dog killed itself. <laughs> Ah, uh, the games we play. Um, <laughs> that that scene was so disturbing. The whole book's been disturbing, but it's been disturbing in a good way. It's a horror but, show. It's a horror yeah. show. Yeah. Well, so, I have no desire to read this book. I think you both should still continue to read this book. <laughs> it's still a good book. Uh, yeah, I, I am too. And, you know, it's it's redeemed that the dog's brain's still alive because it's in the android dog now. Yeah, he just gave it a better body. Yeah. Yeah. The, he, he, exactly. The dog wasn't going to make it, so he saved the dog. That's a good thing, right? <laughs> yes, was I, I accept that. I accept that explanation. The dog was there. I just want. To, I need to know: was there a giant slurp sound in the pages? <laughs> That's what I need to know. <laughs> no slurping. Oh. But yeah, I mean the, the the book is the book is challenging. The book is creepy. The book is exquisitely written and drawn. Uh, I'm, I, 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 it's hard to say I'm a big fan of number six, but uh, uh, it's a strong book. It's a strong book. And you, you know, other under what I love about it was the uh, Captain America's lighter that's popped up yeah. a few times. Yeah, and someone makes the comment of they just don't make them like they used to. Yeah. Well, and and to your earlier point, Wayne, uh, I do applaud the the different types of storytelling that Marvel's willing to do. Uh, this does not seem like a no brainer in terms of a pitch book. You know, I, I, I'm trying to imagine how the room responded to you know the pitch for the, for this story, and I'm just so glad that they took a chance on it because it yeah. is just so well done. And Tim, to answer your question, there's so there's no no slurp sounds because those pages have no sound effects. It is uh, silence as he's doing this, yeah. which is even creepier. Yeah. So, Paul. Yes, sir. On a happier note, <laughs> Star Wars: The Force Awakens hit Blu-ray this week. Woo! It did, and I'm very excited. I went to uh, Best Buy and got my Steelbook edition. Very exciting. Very and, exciting. Uh, well, but it, it, more exciting than the, Star, the Force Awakens being out on Blu-ray was the new tra- uh, teaser trailer for Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I'm pretty excited about this movie. I think it looks pretty damn good. I, I, I like movies I, you know, uh, that, that have that Dirty Dozen feel, and this one is going to have that. I, I'm super excited about this. I See, can't wait. Before seeing the trailer, I wasn't sure if I would be interested in the movie. Because what I love about Star Wars, I mean, a lot of people talk about the, you know, the universe at large and all the things they want to know about. For me, I get excited about the Jedi stuff. You know, some people want movies without the Force and all that, but I want the Force. I want all of that involved. So I wasn't sure what I would feel about this until seeing the trailer. And then when I saw the trailer, it's like, okay, that looks awesome. So I am. It looks super cool. I can't wait. And I love the, I love the variation on the theme, the the music in the in the in the trailer, the 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 traditional Star Wars theme variations. I thought were cool. I I I loved that. Love that. So yeah, I'm I'm super excited. Can't wait. 
Can't wait. Give it to I me. I am now. wondering if now. we'll see uh, since this is a set in the past. I'm wondering if we'll see Vader. I'm yeah. kind of hoping we don't. Yeah. I gotta imagine we're gonna see Vader. Why wouldn't you? Exactly. Yeah, we see him walking down a hall drinking a cup of coffee. You know, <laughs> yeah. Chat, ch- chatting up the administrative assistant, you know. Yeah. Playing with like, his action figures. <laughs> <laughs> Just pointing at everyone. Yeah. <laughs> hey, guy. Hey, guy. <laughs> I could kill you right now with my hand. Just just kill you from across the room. I could do it. Just kidding. Yeah. But no, really, I do. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he must have been an ass to work with. Yeah. Well, fuck that guy. He's dead anyway. Fuck that guy. <laughs> so, so also, this coming week on Jimmy Kimmel Live, I don't believe they've announced the actual day yet, is that the Doctor Strange trailer is coming out. Uh, and... I, I mean, I'm assuming it's coming out in preparation for being attached to Civil War. I'm very excited. I hope it's, uh, you know, they just wrapped filming, so I'm, I'm very curious to see how this film looks. I uh, have to say that I, it disappoints me that they do these these premieres exclusively on Kimmel. Uh, and I understand, you know, Disney owns ABC, Kimmel's on ABC. But I really wish that they do, do some of this stuff over on uh, Stephen Colbert because he's actually a fan. Yeah, you know, and I'd, I'd much prefer to see it over there. I think you could just stop Darren at the trailer. It disappoints me. <laughs> like, that could have been the end of the sentence. I'd, I, I'd been okay with that. I have so much hope in what Doctor Strange is going to be. I, I'm mm-hmm. super excited for this movie. Yeah, I, I think hope the, it's informed by the current run from Jason Aaron. I doubt it, but I hope so. I think the costume looks great. I think uh, Benedict Cumberbatch is a really good actor that is he cares about the character. I mean, maybe it was all just press that he went into a comic book store dressed as the character and bought Dr. Strange comic books. It was probably all (laughs) press, but, you know, maybe it's he was actually doing research. Right. (laughs) Tim, you're you're so cynical. You know, I, 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 I just I feel like you're more you belong more in the DC cinematic universe than in our Marvel universe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, when John Bernthal, I think that's his name, the guy that played uh, Punisher. Punisher in the Daredevil series, yeah. he did research beforehand, and of course he didn't go in in costume. They didn't make a press thing out of it. They've only talked about it since you know the the, uh, the series is out. He went into think- a comic book store, walked up with a stack of Punisher comics, and the guy behind the counter says, "I." I know who you are. You're not buying those. You're buying these. And led him to other Punisher stories. I'm still only two episodes into season two of Daredevil. Oh, but, Aaron. But the scene where Punisher is walking out of the, the pawn shop or whatever it is. Yeah. And the guy is saying, hey, well, you know, you know he's trying to sell him, you know, upsell him on some other stuff. And he finally gets to, well, I've got some, I got some porn. She's barely 12 years old. And you just see Punisher stop. And drop his bag, and you're like, "Oh, so close, <laughs> so close." I just envisioned though that the uh, Bernthal walked up there with like Frankencastle books, and the guy's like, "No, you're not buying that." <laughs> I, I think, Aaron, to answer your point, I, I I would be much happier in a world where Batfleck is beating the living shit out of Superman than in the Flash world. That is a fair <laughs> statement. <laughs> 
so naughty. We can't even have you in our CW uh, Greg Berlanti universe. I am. You have to be six shades too ugly of your CW show. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you can expect, uh, you know, uh, Tim to pop through time and say, you know, did did I come too early? Did I come too early? The secret's Wayne, Paul. The secret's Wayne. (laughs) I'd, I'd probably go, that's all, folks, and then I'd leave. That's probably my move if I come through time and just probably be like, what the fuck just happened? Well, actually, I think I've got it. I think I've got it. You know, his head pops through the little time hole, and he just says, God damn it. And then he's gone. That's all he gives you. That's all you've got to work with. Yeah, because if he pops through – if he pops through and says, did I come too early? Did I come too early? You know there's going to be you know, a voice out of nowhere of his wife saying, yeah, you always do. I just I just feel like maybe, maybe I get the deep sigh out and I drop the Paul knife at his feet. There you go. That, that might be the move. There you go. So, Paul? Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? So a couple of things come out next week. From Marvel Comics, we have the Star Wars C-3PO special, which apparently explains why C-3PO has a red arm in The Force Awakens. It was long delayed. I guess there was something in the story that uh, Disney didn't agree with, so it had to go back for revisions. And uh, now it's finally coming out after anyone gives a shit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm I'm thinking... Good sell, Paul. I am not picking up that book. Nobody cares. (laughs) Exactly. Now that no one cares... It didn't even make the DVD release week. Yeah. No one cares. Um, also from Marvel Comics, the new Moon Knight run. Uh, Moon Knight number one comes out. I'm I'm on the fence about it. Who's doing it? I think Charles Sewell is the writer on the new like, Moon Knight book. I do like Charles Sewell. I do too, but, you know, if they seem – oh, no, I'm sorry. It's Jeff Lemire. Who I also like. Uh, yeah, but not as much as Charles Sewell. Not as much as Charles Sewell. Um, it's Jeff Lemire and artist Greg Smallwood who worked on – Greg Smallwood worked on The Last Ark of uh you know um of moon knight and it seems like they're going to emphasize the crazy and i gotta say when you emphasize the crazy in moon knight it works less well for me um darth vader number 19 comes out from marvel comics as well uh you know as well as new issues of some regular titles from dc comics we are getting um new issues of batman superman number 31 which continues the super league storyline that we talked about earlier in this episode as uh, as well as not a goddamn thing else. So, <laughs> yeah, that, that that that's what's coming out next week, Aaron. Not a goddamn lot. I I don't know if Paul's telling the truth or if he's just half-assing the recaps. <laughs> a bit of both. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Do I know what's coming out? Look it up. That's basically what Paul's. <laughs> I'm not your bitch. <laughs> When we all know that you are, it's, in fact. It's only the thing you've done for three years, Paul. It's only, it's only your job function. Only, you had one job, that and editing. And <laughs> so basically and you've had one notes. job yeah. twice. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, have a great week. <laughs> Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.
Allah.